Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, help us to hear you. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to understand who you are and what you did because of your love for us. Speak through me for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I will be reading some selections from the Gospel of Luke, um, as indicated in your bulletin, but I've actually added one additional reading, verses 5 to 22. So it's a little bit of reading, but it's the Word of God, and, and it's actually very exciting what's going on in here. So I'm going to start with Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 5, and go to verse 22, and then I'll pick up as the readings indicate. Hear the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now skipping to verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her age in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now we're going to skip to chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch, this is the night of the birth, keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And now down to verse 25. And this is after Jesus' birth, and they're taking Jesus into the temple uh, for his dedication. And when the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Thus ends the reading of the word. Well, it is a week and a day before Christmas. We have been lighting the Advent candles in anticipation of this day. The decorations have been up for a few weeks now, and my hunch is that some of you have even done some shopping and maybe even some buying. 
in anticipation of Christmas. Children are anticipating what might be under a tree. Merchants are anticipating sales. Family members are anticipating gatherings. And even if you don't like Christmas, there is anticipation because it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Anticipation was also something that the nation of Israel experienced. Abraham anticipated the birth of his promised son through whom the world would be blessed. Isaac and Rebekah anticipated the birth of their twin sons who would become two nations as God had said would happen, and it did. The people of Israel anticipated their deliverance from slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. Proof of this long, enduring anticipation was they kept Joseph's bones with the, because they were promised to take them back to the land of Canaan, which they did 400 years later. Israel anticipated their return again to the promised land after they had been hauled off to Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. They had anticipated the fulfillment of all those promises that God had made. And of course, there were all of the prophecies, specifically all the prophecies related to the deliverer who would sit on King David's throne and reign forever. They anticipated a Messiah, a Christ. Anticipation was merely part of what it meant to be Israel. And it wasn't just musing. It was hope without which they would not have survived. And even though there had been about 400 years of prophetic silence prior to the time of our Christmas story, anticipation was ruminating in the Jewish nation. So when the angel Gabriel showed up while Zechariah was ministering in private in the temple and told him that his wife would have a son who would prepare the way for the Messiah, that was touching a major anticipation nerve. When at baby John's dedication and circumcision, which we didn't read about, Zechariah was finally able to speak again and fully disclose all that Gabriel had told him and even uttered new prophecies about John being the forerunner to the Messiah. News about John, who was to go before the Messiah, spread. According to verse 165 in Luke, it says, Fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What will this child be? Anticipation was also the course of the day for Mary, a, a young virgin, when she was told that she would be the mother of that Messiah. The miraculous pregnancy added to the anticipation. Then three months after John's dedication, and that excitement had spread throughout the hills of Judea, when some shepherds in those hills heard those angels singing and praising God about the Messiah who had been born, excitement could not have been greater at least for those who believed the story. You see, most didn't. Two of the reasons for that were, 
First, anticipation can be buried due to delay. All the excitement surrounding the angelic announcements of the pregnancies of Elizabeth and Mary and the events surrounding John's birth and dedication and Zechariah speaking again, it seemed to have lost steam by the time Jesus was born. In fact, John's birth got more attention than Jesus's, at least from those immediately around him. When Jesus was born, some noticed, the angels noticed, some reacted, particularly Herod, who clearly seemed more interested in it than the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation. The people just seemed to have moved on. Moved on. But that's human. We 21st century humans take about 15 minutes to forget one headline and move to the next. Those who are hungry, which almost everyone was at that time in history in that place, those who are hungry often can't think beyond the next meal. Israel itself only took a few days at the base of Mount Sinai to forget the Lord's laws about idolatry, or even that, I mean, this is amazing, that they seemingly forgot that they had actually heard the voice of the true almighty God speak audibly to them while the earth was shaking. Only a few days after that, they made their golden calf and called it their God. People, people forget and they move on. That is why God tells us over and over in the scriptures to remember and why he gave Israel annual festivals and sacrifices. He gave us communion so we would not forget, but we do. And many of those who should have known and been bursting with excitement had moved on to other issues by the time Jesus was born. Some still anticipated. Mary and Joseph sure did. They had a, they had a pregnancy to contend with. Simeon, whose story we just read a little while ago, he was sure anticipating and waiting. And there were others. But anticipation can wane. A second reason that more attention did not surround the birth of Jesus probably had to do with the facts on the ground. Yes, a, a, a baby was born to a young carpenter, poor carpenter and his betrothed, supposedly a virgin. And you know, many people did not really believe her story. And, and when this baby was born, it was not in a throne room or surrounded with pomp and circumstance. This baby was born in a manger where animals live, not kings. The Magi, though, who at this time were on their way to Bethlehem following a star, seemingly understood what was happening. They were going to worship this one who was to be born king of the Jews. You honor and you obey kings. You worship God. They understood something most did not. However, the facts on the grounds were probably a little discouraging to those who were anticipating a Messiah, a great deliverer. How special could this baby be? Look at his parents. Look at his bed. The idea that all of the prophecies, all that anticipation that had gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years, that they would find their fulfillment in the birth 
of a tiny, helpless baby without a place for his head? Well, maybe they should anticipate some more. And those who did seem to get the significance of the birth of Jesus, they had no idea what was really happening, nor what was ahead. They couldn't. They were anticipating a Messiah who would come and save them from their earthly adversaries. Jesus did so much more than that. And no one anticipated that the Messiah, the Deliverer, would be murdered on a cross. And the resurrection? Forget it. Even the disciples didn't catch on to this. And the actual Messiah, the actual Messiah actually told them about it multiple times. And the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit? No way. They, 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 they had no idea. But... All that stuff that we have been talking about, we, we are no longer anticipating it. We know it. It happened. We have the privilege of the story being told in an orderly manner in a remarkable book and years and years of Holy Spirit-led understanding of the story. They anticipated the birth of the Messiah. We celebrate it. And with an understanding they could not even come close to. We are anticipating the celebration of the birth of the Messiah because it happened. Whatever the Israelites were anticipating, we are blessed with an understanding far beyond even what Mary knew, and Mary talked to an angel. We simply know so much more. We know, for instance, that the birth of the Messiah was not the beginning of the story. We understand that the story really started back in the Garden of Eden, actually before that. We also have insight into the end of the story, which they could not have even imagined. I'm talking about our resurrection, our spending eternity in the presence of our holy God, entirely forgiven, adopted as sons and daughters, surrounded in his love and peace, experiencing joy unspeakable in a place he has prepared for us. They didn't know this. We also understand that at the birth of Jesus, that that was not the beginning of the Son of God, for he was and is God eternal, and he created everything. They didn't comprehend that. But we know these things. But what really was the shocker at Jesus' birth was what, my, what Isaiah prophesied and is repeated in Matthew 1. And it wasn't the, the first part of the prophecy that was the big shocker. The prophecy was that a virgin would conceive... And that was Mary, and that happened, and, she, and that she would bear a son, a man, a human boy. That happened. But here is the real shocker, that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
It was the last part of that that was the most amazing thing of all. It was Emmanuel, God with us. It was when God became man and dwelt among us. They were waiting for a king and a mighty deliverer who would vanquish their earthly enemies, and they got a deliverer who vanquished the ultimate enemies of sin and death. They got way more than what they were anticipating. They got God with us. It is easy for us to say that Jesus was God with us. We say that all the time. But we really need to stop and think about that. For one thing, God the creator becoming part of the creation is impossible. Though all things are possible with God. How many movies have we seen or books have we read where a human character goes into another world? For example, Narnia, some of the greatest books in the history of the world. Or, or there are all the different uh, movies about humans going from one reality to another reality. And if you think of Star Trek or the Marvel comics. And there are all the myths of the supposed gods like Zeus procreating with humans, creating a kind of in-between species, half man and half God. That's fiction. But it is very easy for us to let that imaginary stuff color our understanding and definitely water down the magnitude of what happened when God became man. This was not a mortal going into another mortal world, Narnia, nor was this a fake God who existed in the world of men interacting with non-gods in the world, think Thor or Zeus, nor was this a real God or a fake God passing through our world temporarily taking on human form. That idea is put forth in various heresies or forms of Buddhism and other religions. This was the real and only true God who is eternal and beyond time and beyond, beyond magnitude and who is spirit, who created all things, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, eternal and beyond comprehension, becoming part of his creation, actually becoming fully man without ceasing to be fully God. If you think about that, God shouldn't even be able to fit in a man, let alone his creation. This is over the top and should blow our minds. Edmund and Lucy going to Narnia, that is fun to believe. But that, that is an absolute nothing burger compared to the magnitude of the idea of God eternal becoming created man. And he came as a helpless baby. Now we can imagine Jesus as the human baby in those crest scenes like the one down there. 
We can imagine him needing a diaper change. We can process the fact that he grew and experienced life as, as we do. We can grasp that he actually suffered and died. We can process a whole bunch of this. And, and he did all that. Jesus was fully human, completely, just like us. What should stump us, though, and it is the defining thing that makes us Christian, is that that helpless baby who was like us was also God and never stopped being fully God. According to the scriptures, Christ set aside or emptied himself of his power of God or his majesty, though he did not cease to be God. And he submitted and subordinated or held back or chose not to rely on his divinity. And he lived and died like you and me, fully human, never ceasing to be fully the God of the universe. That is what makes us Christian, that belief. Throughout the ages, people have wrestled with this issue of Jesus being fully man and fully God. But true Christianity has always maintained that he is both fully God and fully man. And true historical Christianity has also concluded, and this is the hardest part for so many of us, that the best we can do this side of eternity and perhaps beyond is affirm that reality without fully comprehending it. Christians believe and always have that what was in that manger was fully God and fully human. And the ramifications of this are numerous and beyond significant. One ramification is that it should simply blow us away when we think how amazing God's love and grace is towards us that God would come at all, let alone come as that helpless human child, fully aware of what was ahead of him and choosing to endure it because he loves us. It should humble us knowing that he did it because it was the only way to justify and permanently deal, justify us and permanently deal with our sin and our rebellion against him. He didn't have to do it. And candidly, it doesn't make much sense that he did, except that he loves us. What love. Another ramification, God becoming fully human means that God can truly identify with us. He lived from being a child to being an adult who had, he was a child, he had to be fed, had to have his diaper changed, who knew, he knew hunger, he knew what it was like to be sad and happy, he knew pain and loss. He was like us in every way, and he can identify with us. Well, there was one way he wasn't like us. He was perfect. Because of his miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit, which we read about, he was not tainted with Adam's sin. And he never sinned. 
not because he was God, but because he was obedient man. This means that, and these are the ramifications, this means that when Jesus died on that cross for us, he did not die as God. God cannot die. He also didn't die as a sinful man that deserves to die. But he died as a sinless man who was paying for our sins, not his, because he loves us. And he was doing it to save us because he loves us. Again, all of this was so much more than the Israelites or the Magi or Mary or Zechariah were anticipating. And we, we are in so much a better place. We know what happened. We even had it explained by Jesus himself, and, the, and we have it explained by the apostles in the New Testament. We know that what we celebrate at Christmas is that God was in that manger as a fully human baby. And we know with certainty that God himself came to save us, not merely from earthly adversaries, but from sin and death with his own death. And we know about his victorious resurrection and his ascension, which is the basis for our incredibly joyous future. Certainly, those shepherds and Simeon the prophet in the temple were overjoyed with what they heard and saw. But we know and have heard and seen way more. If we focus on the fact that a human baby was born, that is very true. But this season will be so much more powerful if we take advantage of the more complete understanding that we have been given in the scriptures, that baby symbolized in the crest scenes was God with us. Fully man, fully God. It was God with us who came to suffer and die for us because he loves us, which should blow us away. And that is not the end of the story, nor the end of our anticipation. On Wednesday at Good News Club, after watching a video on the promises and things, and it was an excellent video Peggy brought, um, promises and the things and the anticipation leading up to the birth of Jesus, Peggy asked the children, what is our promise now? And after but a brief moment of silence, and I actually didn't even remember Peggy talking about this, but after a brief moment of silence, a five-year-old boy named Elliot shot up his hand and said, that he will come back! And I loved it. That child was spot on. He had just watched a Christmas movie and understood the sense of anticipation that still remains. Jesus will come back. Jesus is not still in the manger. He grew and lived and suffered and died 
for us. He rose again as he said he would, proving all that he said about himself. And he ascended to heaven where he currently reigns. And he sent his Holy Spirit, God, to dwell in us. What we are anticipating now is that he will come back. However, he will not come back for a people who need to have their sins forgiven. He already did that. We are forgiven because of his death for us. He will not come back to vanquish our enemies. He already did that, and death has lost its sting. He will come back to take us to be with him. Something we can anticipate, but something we cannot fully comprehend, but something he promised to do and something we can anticipate with hope and joy. Christmas is a time of anticipation. We celebrate the birth of the Messiah. We remember all that he did, but we are to anticipate that God with us, who currently lives in us, will come back and we will be in his loving presence forever. So when you see the baby in the manger, celebrate all that that means and anticipate that he is coming back. Let's pray. It is beyond amazing, God, what you have done for us. That you have created us, that you give us breath, that you came to be with us, that we could be forgiven so we could be with you. Thank you so much for the work that you did in Jesus and help us to anticipate his return. In the name of Jesus, amen.